together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time, the Legion of Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. There's a ship, the Black Freighter, with a skull on its mouth. Will be coming in. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of the not-quite-award-winning podcast, The Legion of Dudes. Today, I'm joined on the panel by my fellow co-conspirators of The Legion of Dudes, Jim Dietz, Adam Umack, Johnny M., Russell Latham, and introducing Legionnaire Adam Reed. Today's adventure will take us back to the book that will not die. We return to the world of Watchmen. We'll be taking a look at the DVD release of Tales of the Black Freighter and mockumentary Under the Hood, and we'll look at what comes after Watchmen. Don't forget to leave your comments and questions for the Legion at comments at legionofdudes.com. Check out hhwlod.com for blogs, movie and game reviews, and our companion podcast, Half Hour Wasted, every Monday. To get things rolling today and to take us into the Black Freighter, let me throw it over to dude Adam Umack. Adam? Awesome. Well, thanks, Ken. So, um, Tales of the Black Freighter DVD was released uh, last Tuesday. And in the Black Freighter DVD or Blu-ray that you get, Tells the Black Freighters rated R with a runtime of about, let's see, 26 minutes. And with that, as kind of like a co-feature, the Hollis Mason's tell-all autobiography and documentary, I guess mock documentary form, mockumentary documentary form, Under the Hood, with a rating of PG, was released in that as well with a runtime of about 38 minutes. Now, I guess let's just do some general impressions of Tales of the Black Freighter. I mean, we have already covered the story in our uh, episodes previous to this, the Who Reads the Watchmen episodes we did, I personally thought that this was a little ambitious to be released on its own without being integrated into the movie, and likewise without including Bernie and Bernard, the news vendor, and the little kid reading the book, intercut with this as well. What I will tell you is, when I was watching Tales of the Black Freighter, like, for example, when the traveler washed up on the shore with... The, like the, um, what's the name of the chick at the bow of the ship? The figurehead, but I don't know what her, her name was or the ship's yeah, name. Yeah, like the figure, like the, the sculpted mastheads and stuff. And, you know, like, and he, like, covered her, he, like, touched her face and stuff. I was like, okay, well, that's definitely, and we could, and we did this during the Watchmen movie, too. Like, okay, this is what, what happened in, you know, issue number two here when, you know, John was touching, Dr. Manhattan was touching Lori's face. Other than that, I, I didn't really have an opinion one way or the other on it. What did you guys think? Um, I, I guess, I didn't like it. It's just a pirate story without being intercut 
into the you know with the parallels of the Watchmen story itself. It it, it just out of context. It just didn't do anything for me. And, and you know you always have in the back of your mind that this is going to come out on DVD in the movie the way that it was meant to be. So it's kind of like a double dip, but they want you to double dip, but they tell you that it's coming, which to me is totally, you know, it took all the steam out of wanting to buy, to buy it. The thing with Tales of the Black Freighter guys is that, you know, this was material that adds to the main story of the book. So, you know, this subplot that is the Tales of the Black Freighter loses a lot of its, I don't know, gusto without the main story attached to it. I think you're right. It is just a pirate story. I, I'm not, you know, wowed or dazzled. The animation was cool, but, you know, I'd, I'd like to have style and substance to it. I mean, obviously, you got the guys at you know, uh, Warner Animation that, you know, helped put this out with the guys at Legendary Pictures. Did a good job of animating it. I mean, I don't have any complaints. It reminded me a lot of uh, Batman Gotham Knight before uh, The Dark Knight came out, which I thought was pretty cool as far as a little more adult-oriented uh animation style but that's about all i could tell you i mean it wasn't you know it didn't shock the world yeah the other thing with this uh with the 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 black freighter in the comic is that yes it's a parallel to what's going on in the main book but you also have the additional connection that's provided by the fact that the author of the the black freighter in the in the watchman you know is of course the um the writer who is part of adrian's team who helps develop the squid and you know with that angle gone from the movie even with it being cut back into the movie Yes, you get the parallel of the main story, but you're still losing some other connections that make it matter, at least to me. So it, it just it just makes it matter that le- that much less. So I don't care if it's there or not at this point. It's a metaphor in search of a story in my mind. I mean, if you were to take the Watchmen label off this and just you know call it Tales of the Black Freighter and have it stand alone by itself as a pirate cartoon, it'd be pretty good. Integrated into the Watchmen movie, it could mean so much more and be a nice parallel metaphor for what Adrian is doing in the the main plot of the Watchmen film. But as a standalone, I just I just feel like it's like what you guys say. It's lacking um, the deeper meaning that it has when placed in context with the rest of the story. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it just it seemed really kind of superfluous. I mean, like I said, it wasn't bad. The animation was good. You know, kind of almost had that anime you know, detailed anime kind of style to it. I thought Gerard Butler's narration and voice acting was was great. I think it fit, you know, very well um, into the style. But when you when you look at it as a separate 25-minute, you know, piece, it it's almost too short to be its own story, you know, but, but too long if they're going to weave that into the film. You know, I just, I'm curious when they weave it back into the film if it's just going to make it feel like it's really, really dragging it down. But, you know, like I said, not bad. I, I, you know, they fleshed a lot more out. You know, there's a lot more to the beginning of it and to the ending of it, um, which, which you know, obviously they had to flesh a lot more out because things parallel. But, like I said, when you, you, know, when you don't have that dichotomy of what's being said in the, in this case, the cartoon, you know, mirroring what's happening either on screen on the movie or, or you know, vice versa, or to, to take it to the, to the source, you know, back when you had the Black Freighter as a comic within a comic, you know, paralleling what was going on in the in the real world, it just it just loses its meaning. It just it just seems like it's just kind of there to be there. So because like remember all and you know I wouldn't say with us, but on my first couple reads of Watchmen, I had a rough time with the Black Freighter. It's like this is like <laughs> this certainly is no linchpin to the story because I mean we all thought it was a pretty cool movie without the Black Freighter in it, but it's like man, whenever Watchmen comes up. 
my God, did the black freighter get uh, raked over the coals? Not that we're doing that to it. I mean, I just our thing is it's out of place, you know, and it's not like we're purists or anything uh, down the line, you know. Anyway, but it's you know, it's like no matter what context the black freighter's in, there's always well, you know, uh, that not entirely full tilt. It, it worked perfectly. Conversation we have with it. I don't know why that is. I think once once someone, um, a reader, understands and embraces the Black Freighter's purpose and why it's there, um, it it begins to not only take on new meaning, but it becomes less something. I to me, it was like the first time I got to it, it was an interruption. It was like, what is this? But then when I, as I read it, and I understood what it was, it was trying to do and what meaning it was conveying. You know, a parallel Adrian story, for example, we we're talking about. Then it became aha. This you know, this is why it's here. Because we said before many times going over the book. Nothing's there by accident. That includes the Black Freighter. Um, this release and the Under the Hood uh, special, like both of these felt like they should have been simply extra features on the eventual DVD release. They didn't need to be put out as their own release right now, except to get a little bit more money out of out of the fanboys, because this is not something for the uh, the casual, I've never read the book, I'm going to see Watchmen for the first time, viewer. And it was just, it just to me screamed of a money grab. It It, it would have been a great special feature to include on the DVD, even without being cut back in. And I think, I think part of the strategy was, you know, the movie was probably expected to be doing a lot better than it is right now. So maybe they were hoping to grab all of these new Watchmen fans that they attained from the movie uh, into buying some extra material. But, you know, by the numbers, it seems like the fanboys went opening week and not a ton of a lot of people have seen it since then it came out what about three weeks after the movie's release give or take oh uh, yeah, yeah so you figure people yeah, see it they've got three weeks to, to to see the movie you know i'm talking the new the new viewer and reader see the movie get the book read the book you know might be my god my life has been changed and then suddenly this shows up and like oh more watchmen must get more watchmen you know and i can almost see like you know these guys around a boardroom table like you know like figuring out how they how they can keep this cash flow going as long as they can. And they're like, that included this in their master plan, and this whole house of cards is falling apart because that second week having the 60-some percent drop-off, just like crushing their crushing their, their plans. I was going to say, originally, remember, the, the, the goal for this was for the Black Freighter to come out the Tuesday before the movie came out. When they first announced it, it was supposed to come out on, what, well, I guess, the 3rd? Yeah, that's when uh, that's when the uh, the motion Sorry. comic came out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was supposed to come out, you know, <clears throat> before, and then they, you know, at some point they either late, you know, due to lateness or you know maybe uh, you know they just re-strategized or whatever. But but it ended up coming out, you know, like we said, two and a half weeks after the movie. So, well, you know, uh, moving on. I mean, this did have you know a books within books kind of uh, co co feature that talked about the Black Freighter. It taught, you know, Zack Snyder was in there, the actors were in there. Um very cool to see Len Wein uh interviewed about it since he was the you know editor of the Watchmen book. Um do we have any quick thoughts on Under the Hood, the documentary? I thought it was cool that I mean we did see the news vendor, we did see Bernard, which was the first bit of acting in character that we've seen from uh that actor in particular. I thought that, that he pretty much nailed the character in the few short lines that he did have. Yeah, and they pulled a lot of um, his lines from the book into that into that piece, which was cool to see. In a final analysis. Like, uh-huh, that's, that one really jumped out, uh, yeah. I, I was watching it, and I laughed out loud, and I had to explain to my wife why. I really enjoyed Under the Hood a lot, and a little, uh, 
like throwouts to the uh, the the fanboys, like the very end where Hollis Mason is saying, you know, I kind of always thought Night Owl and Silk Spectre would get together somehow, someday, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. I love the retro uh, commercials they had in between the little retro graphics for the Culpepper Minute, um, the the newsreel footage. I just I thought it was awesome as a, as a Watchmen geek, as you guys know, I am, and you know, even I have reached saturation on my you know Watchmen level. But I I loved Under the Hood. I thought it was awesome. And again, Ken, I totally agree. It would have been an extra, a great extra to throw onto the DVD or the Criterion Collection or whatever's going to happen with an Ultimate Edition, and. And it does smell like money grab, especially, I mean, running this you know, right after the movie, mm-hmm. you know, while the hype is still fresh. And something else you were saying about how, you know, they wanted to keep the hype going or whatever. The, the Watchmen video game on Xbox Live, Arcade, and, uh, and the PSN Network, it's supposed to have a, another chapter every month for the next five months. And I think they were banking on that same Watchmen hype that you were talking about before. Like, you know, this movie is going to be the, you know, much, much bigger than it ended up being. So that's exactly where we're headed to next, which is uh, Watchmen, The End is Nigh, which is more or less, I mean, I don't know how to explain this. Let's see. It's, it's not a fighting game. It's not a brawler. It's kind of like a cross between a, a button masher, kind of like a next-gen button masher. Probably one of the best arcade games I've played for what it's selling itself to be, but it's still not a good game. Any thoughts on uh, The End is Nigh? Uh, I thought it was okay to see the characters. Um, I just played the demo. I thought as far as just as a game goes, it was a little dark. Was, uh, you couldn't really see much on the screen, I didn't think. But it, it was fun for what it was for a demo, but not enough to get me to spend the 20 bucks to get the full game. I was really excited about the idea of having there's a, a multiplayer mode to it, so you can you know one person can be Night Owl, the other person can play as Rorschach. And, uh, but then when I found out it was just uh, like a local only, you know, it wasn't co-op over live, it's like, well... No one in this house is gonna to want to play this game with me, so it doesn't really matter that that's even there. So like, I couldn't get on with Jim, for example, over live or read or whoever, and we could have could have played this game together. It would have been would have been cool to do that, but it's unfortunate that that wasn't there. I couldn't get over the twenty dollar price tag. I mean, for an XBLA game, uh, that's a lot. I don't know. Just for the kind of gameplay it was, it was pretty much like a three D version of Double Dragon, or you know, you know, your very classic beat 'em up style video game. But uh, twenty but you bucks. Did you do that night out? More content. Yeah, but for twenty bucks, I can you know. I have a feeling that 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 twenty dollars price point isn't going to stick for very long. You know, it's, it's kind well, of a common theme for these different things that we're talking about. I mean, would would we have felt better about the Black Freighter if they made it? Uh, I don't know, fourteen ninety nine instead of like thirty bucks for a. 24 minute yeah, cartoon may, maybe because it just it just didn't have that you know standalone dvd feel to me like i said this was this was like extra bonus material kind of kind of kind of content it didn't, it didn't right and the game is almost like an add-on yeah, like exactly. it should be you know it should be like a ten dollar or or five dollar even level that you're buying rather than 20 bucks you know for what seemed to be like almost like an unfinished product well, and especially with the complete digital distribution. I mean, this isn't where they had to, you know, print CDs and packaging and all that other kind of stuff. I mean, this would easily be a $20 game whether, you know, if they did release it, you know, as a full-blown, you know, go in the store and buy it. So the fact that it's completely di- digitally distributed, a little overpriced. I, like I said, I think this is going to – I think we'll see the price come down. I think this will go to either be a $9.99 or $15.99 offer here pretty quick. Um, well, I ended up snagging the game from the arcade just because I had a bunch of extra points I didn't know what to do with. 
And um, the moves are very cool. Like, once you start getting and racking up the power-ups for Rorschach or Night Owl, like, you do, <laughs> you do some pretty freaking brutal things with a crowbar or a baseball bat or, or whatever. I mean, as you get in and progress to the levels, it gets pretty intense, which is cool. And, you know, all the actors from the movie did their voices uh, for their respective characters. The, the cutscenes are animated um, with what I would only, what I could only describe as uh, animation looks like it's from the motion comic. But I was so surprised that they didn't get Dave Gibbons to draw those. Like, you can tell it's like a faux Dave, Dave Gibbons uh, knockoff. But for the few, like, I don't know, frames that they needed, I'm surprised they just didn't go the route of the motion comic and just have Gibbons draw the, the stills. Because let's face it, he wasn't that busy while the movie was going on. Yeah, but see, he, he still wanted to get paid, I mean, and that's that much less money that's going to go into somebody else's pocket. So, Well, and I, and I understand that, but, uh, you know, uh, you know Dave's, Dave's biggest role was... You know, the press tour, the Comic-Cons and stuff like that. You know, and I understand that he did do a few things to kind of broaden out everything for the motion comic, too. But um, it was all right. I, did, I totally agree. It's not a $20 game. It's probably not a $15 game. It is a game, however, and um, I just think it's kind of cool that I have a couple of watch achievements added in my gamer score. But recommend... Absolutely not in the final analysis. Use the watchman phrase. My prediction is that the other... Uh installments in the series will probably either get uh, postponed indefinitely or uh, put on hiatus. I mean, I just... I mean, if Watchmen had been the giant blockbuster that everyone, you know, I guess Warner Brothers expected it to be, then I could see all five of the rest of the chapters of the, the game coming out. But at that price point and at the level of popularity it is, I really don't see the developers really pursuing it. I mean, maybe I'll be wrong. I don't know. Maybe we'll be playing as Dr. Manhattan next kind of bring some Watchmen talk to a close. We are going to talk about some comics on uh, this episode. Um, I know I talked to Russ, and Jim has been emailing us and stuff. Let me ask this. Of, of, of the dudes here, uh, who's gone to see Watchmen a second time, and uh, has your opinion changed for good or for ill about the movie, about the movie experience, about Zack Snyder, about what was in the movie, about what wasn't in the movie? I'd uh, seen it twice by the actually our first recording about about the movie and and uh I, I i said then i mean i thought it was a, a really good movie and, and nothing has gone to change it i'm just i'm just burnt out at this point <laughs> i have only seen it once but only out of uh sheer busyness i, I would have liked to try to see it again i got one more opportunity to go to a movie and uh it was for monsters versus aliens with my daughter which was really good but i didn't get to uh I didn't figure that the six-year-old could should come to Watchmen. Yeah, no, that's kind of where I was at the same <laughs> thing. Which I highly recommend. It's uh, really a lot of fun. Monsters and I mean. I went and saw it last Friday after work. I got out at 4, and there was a 4.30 show, and <clears throat> it was the last day that you could use the free ticket that came with the uh, Motion Comics Blu-ray. So I thought rather than let it go to waste, I would actually put it to use. So I went and saw it Friday night, and my opinion went up after seeing it the second time. I really just tried to decompress and just kind of not think too much about it, just just watch it and enjoy it and, um, you know, just kind of let it happen. And I, I really, I gained a lot more appreciation for it as a movie um, the second time. I, I, I didn't, I, I had some weird pacing things going on, like the first, when I saw it the first time, it just seems like things were paced kind of funny. 
the second time around, I didn't I didn't notice that at all. It, it seemed like it flowed a lot better. Things made a little bit more sense that I kind of had uh, issues with the first time. So uh, overall, it was it was a much better experience for me the second time. Um, and like I said, I appreciated it more as a film as opposed to thinking in context of you know based on the graphic novel by Alan Moore kind of thing. Well, uh, I've seen it three times now, twice in IMAX, once in regular. I uh, every time I've seen it, I've noticed uh, new things, new details that there were put into it. And the more I've seen it, my original thought, I really didn't uh, buy the Ozymandias portrayal very much. And that was like my main gripe with the movie. But now that I've seen it a few more times, I think I understand more of what he was going for. He's kind of uh, more of a David Bowie than a uh, um, Ron Ely, <laughs> like he is in the comic. But um, I've just seen it. I think I, I appreciate it more for like how much he was able to put in there from the movie and how faith or from the book and how faithful it was to the book. I mean, it's very rare that we see a graphic novel adaptation this slightly faithful to the book with the you know, lines from the book, scenes from the book, shots you know taken right from panels of the book. So I really have uh, gotten a uh, fonder appreciation of it with on repeat viewings. One thing I noticed on uh, second viewing of the movie is that when the credits roll and they're playing uh, Desolation Road by My Chemical Romances, you know, they're going down the cast list about who is who, and they'll have, like, Dan Dreberg slash Night Owl, blah, blah, blah. Well, the only character they didn't do that for was Rorschach slash Walter Kovacs. They just had, uh, instead of having Kovacs on there, they just had Rorschach, Jackie Earl Haley. So the whole argument of the book is that Walter's not here anymore, it's only Rorschach. And I thought it was so cool that they discredited Jackie Earl Haley as Rorschach instead of Rorschach slash Walter Kovacs, instead of like, you know what I mean? Instead of like uh, Sally Gispecic or, or Lori Gispecic as uh, slash Silk Spectre. You know, they just, uh, like, no, this is Rorschach. Walter's, you know, they kind of like had the same theme as they did with the book. I thought that was very cool, but um, I enjoyed it the second time. Um, I, I think a lot of the things, what we all said, and what a lot, of, a lot of other different podcasts said, too, was that, you know, we judged Watchmen based off of what wasn't in it, not what wasn't in it. And I, I think there's both, I guess, to do kind of a throwback to what we were talking about earlier, I think there is style, and I think there is substance. I, I think there's a lot of it in, in the movie. And I was really happy to see it the second time, you know? I definitely enjoyed the movie. I haven't seen it uh, additional times yet, and, and I guess I did get my rating based on what wasn't there, but I think uh, uh, of all the different reviews and opinions I've heard of the movie was uh, Clay Anus actually nailed it the best when he said that they, uh, you know, the book and the movie will live together nicely. They they work together and they complement each other. Uh, that's the best thing you can say about the movie. I think that's the most accurate thing. It's it's not going, not I don't think either one supersedes the other. They just work on their own on their own separately. agree with that wholeheartedly. I really, uh, my friend Ed Pisker had a really good uh, comment about Watchmen, the movie. He said it hit all the highlights. And that's exactly what I expected from the, from the movie. I expected to be, to, to, to keep it the spirit of the book and, you know, be accurate in that sense. And then that's exactly what we got. And that was, that's, I was pleased most of all with that. One thing that we touched on a while ago, I think when we did the, um, we did the merchandising, which was maybe like issue two or or three or somewhere early on and and we were wondering like well would they have these toys in like kmart and walmart and toys r us man talk about prices coming down (laughs) toys r us is going to be blowing those figures out real soon because they are wall to wall yeah they'll be right next to the heroes figures they have they're selling for seven bucks now it's unbelievable 
even the uh, what is it like the thirteen inch Rorschach that uh, or there's like a giant Rorschach that there's like ten of them in my Toys R Us. That's all I got to say about that. All right. Well, the movie's over, and of course the next logical question is what next? And in a lot of cases, that's what you know some fans have been doing. My um, I've asked myself, and you know about as transcendental as I could get. I said, well, what do I do now? My buddy Mark Hay, who's an art dealer over at SplashPageArt.com, uh, sent uh, everyone on the mailing list over at SplashPage uh, an email on March the 5th, and I'm, I'm going to read the, the, the email. We have pages from Watchmen. It says, in 2004, John Higgins was commissioned to remaster the colors for the oversized Absolute Watchmen edition of the series. After the project had been completed, a color proof was printed and sent out to John for each interior page of the book, and the colors were checked for accuracy. With Watchmen original published artwork selling for several thousands of dollars per page and more, this is a rare opportunity to own a one-of-a-kind piece of original Watchmen artwork. So Mark has, on SplashPageArt.com, he has issues uh, 1 through 11 of Watchmen posted, and each color proof is printed on high-quality paper that measures 11 by 17, the date of the printing and page number are printed at the top of the proof, and the proof is signed by Dave Gibbons and John Higgins, and it's embossed with a Watchman design seal at the bottom of the page. And a certificate of authenticity is also provided for, with each uh, page purchased. So looking at the gallery, uh, I will cop to this, and John will chastise me forever. <laughs> but I got a color-proof page uh, for my DC Villains uh, collection, and I got... The page, uh, I think it's page 19 of issue number one. Uh, Adrian's standing at his desk with a bunch of action figures near his computer. And he's uh, telling Rorschach uh, farewell, or Rorschach sneaking out of his office window. And Adrian's just kind of, it's a half-page splash of Adrian just kind of uh, staring out at uh, New York City a little menacingly. So uh, you can go ahead and go crazy at Mark's website, splashpageart.com, for Watchmen proofs. Uh, some of them are reasonably priced. The bigger pages, like first appearance of Dr. Manhattan, when Adrian gives the 35 minutes ago line, or when the comedian in Night Hour are on Archie, uh, you know, you're going you're gonna <laughs> to drop a couple more bucks than probably expected on those pages. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasonably priced pages that are pretty cool if you're into the art stuff. Otherwise, um, what DC is really fed into is in its attempt to capture new readers, and this is going to be the uh, meat and potatoes of our uh, episode today, is what do we do at this point after Watchmen's over? In other words, what's next? And DC released this week and a couple weeks ago a free book at local comic stores, or if you get your comics through an online vendor, uh, like most of us do here, um, it was in your monthly orders and shipments. And the name of this publication was After Watchmen, What's Next? And it says, Award-winning titles for new fans just discovering graphic novels and established readers looking to try something new. So this book gives, I mean, a blow-by-blow of about 20 awesome DC, Vertigo, and Wildstorm books. And our plan today is to go over these titles. And if you guys are listening to us or playing along at home, you can go to this website, which is afterwatchmen.com, for more information about all these titles. So... Uh, I know a couple of dudes don't have uh, this book with them, so they're going to jump to the website, too, and we're going to go through these books. And this is kind of like our one-shot episode, but we're going to do about, uh, you know, 15 or 20 titles. We're using the pamphlet that DC released, and we're also using the AfterWatchmen.com website. Um, I think this is a pretty complete list. Um, 
of course, this is only DC and Vertigo and Wildstorm books, so you're not going to get the more mature stuff from Marvel or any uh, independent or small press um, books as well. But I, I think DC has done a good job of categorizing these different books, which will go in, in the order of books by Alan Moore, books that push the boundaries of science fiction, best-selling books from best-selling authors, books for mature readers, and lastly, books that redefine uh, modern superheroes. And I think... Uh, um, a lot of these are complementary to each other. You can have a lot of ones that uh, double down and apply to different categories, too. So I'm going to start off with uh, V for Vendetta, which uh, also uh, people are probably most familiar with as far as the movie-going audience is concerned because of its release a couple of years ago with uh, Hugh Weaving and uh, the chick from the prequels of Star Wars. So um, your thoughts on Alan Moore and David Lloyd's V for Vendetta, dudes? Uh, I know I'm going to get chastised for this, but... I read the the book after I read the, saw the movie. I liked the movie a little bit better, but uh, I can definitely appreciate it for what it is. It's it's very very political. You really have to know what is uh, going on in England at that time and and international politics. But yeah, it's 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 definitely a good read, and I I put on there with Watchmen as one of those books that every real comic fan should definitely read. You know, I saw the movie way before I read the book and I read the book way before I read Watchmen and I didn't give it a fair enough chance. I think now that I've been, you know, with the help of you guys, uh, really been exposed to Alan Moore and what he does, I'd probably have better luck getting through the book now. Um, but I haven't in a long time. But I did enjoy the movie, which I know a lot of people that read the book first had a problem with the movie. Yeah, count me as one who hasn't read it at all yet. I've, I've seen the movie maybe once. And um, you know, you know, it's even more on my radar now that's been included with this as something you know, to, to check out. So, you know, next time I'm at a, a like a half off sale or get a chance to get it cheap, I'll probably grab it. Uh, I will not probably. I will be. I will buy it. I'm pretty much in the same boat. I have I, I have seen the movie and I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I, you know, not the greatest thing, but you know, but definitely better than better than a lot of the stuff being put out there. Um, didn't I haven't read the book yet, but I'm kind of like in Ken's camp. You know, next time I'm out and about and um, you know see it somewhere and get it at a pretty good deal or if maybe if I'm a little short on an in-stock trades order or something like that I might just go ahead and you know add that to the list to, to read it I tend to, to like a lot of the stuff Alan Moore has put out I haven't really read anything from Alan Moore that I've just not liked so so I'll definitely be adding this to the list so Jim on the Alan Moore sliding scale of what's awesome uh, where does V for Vendetta rank uh, with you I'd put it not as high as Watchmen and maybe just below Swamp Thing, just because I love Swamp Thing so much. Uh, I, I have kind of a weird story with the V for Vendetta thing. I was living in Florida at the time. I graduated high school. I was taking you know, some time off before I went to college. And a friend of mine read uh, was reading a British comic called Warrior, which was magazine-sized and in black and white. and had like four different stories in it, including Alan Moore's Miracle Man and Alan Moore's... Um, V for Vendetta, and they end up reading the first eight or nine uh, chapters of V for Vendetta, and then my friend, or I ended up moving away and going to college, and I never got to read the end of the story until years later when I ended up finding a trade paperback of it. Um, but there's a lot going on in uh, in the book that isn't uh, covered in the movie as far as you know, the metaphor of the body politic, quite literally. 
with uh, you know the eye and the finger man and the ear and everything else. Uh, but I mean, I definitely it's definitely one of his uh, better works. And if you've seen the movie, I do recommend it to you guys to read. Excellent. Um, the next one we're looking at, as far as works of Alan Moore goes, is the Saga of the Swamp Thing, recently repackaged. And um, not to spend too much time on this, uh, but we did cover this in last week's episode. But a couple of our friends from the forums, like uh, Dave Wachter, for example, uh, have done some awesome illustrations. And uh, John, uh, how much do you love Swamp Thing after seeing that picture? Oh, it's a great. Um, I'm not even like a huge art guy right now. I stay away from the original stuff because it just is out of my budget with Blu-ray and everything. If you guys want to check out a really cool Swamp Thing uh, print, I guess it was a commission that Dave ended up coloring. If you go to DaveDrawsComics.blogspot.com, and I think if you scroll down a little bit, you'll get to his color Swamp Thing print that he's going to be selling. I think he's bringing it to a convention coming up, but I'm not sure which one. But uh, if you go to that blog spot, you can check it out. It's really good stuff. Um, and Swamp Thing, the Alan Moore Swamp Thing confuses me, so I'm going to stop there. <laughs> um, an, an awesome, and you can check that out in the release, recently released hardcover version. Next, I'm looking at Batman and the Killing Joke uh, by Alan Moore and Brian Bullen. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the prototypical Alan Moore response to the Killing Joke is that he hated writing it. He hated the story, and he doesn't really view this as his best work. And yet, everyone says, from Tim Burton to any book critic, that they love The Killing Joke. It's, the, it's their favorite Joker story. Period. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree. It's it's my favorite Joker story and my favorite Alan Moore work. I think so. I think the important thing that The Killing Joke did was to put the focus on the Joker. Uh, before that, we never really had a satisfying origin story for the Joker until Alan Moore gave us the story of this comedian. I mean, it's a classic. What more can you say, really? I mean, if you haven't, if anybody's listening to this podcast who hasn't read it, stop right now, go read it, and then come back. Yeah, definitely. I I rank this probably as my favorite Alan Moore story underneath Watchmen. Um, I read it years ago. I think some sort of reprint years and years ago, back like late like early 90s, I think, maybe very late 80s. And then and then when the hardcover came out, um, I went and sprang for it just because, again, recolor- they recolored it. Um, There's a lot of cool extras in there. A little thin, you know, a little pricey for um, a one-shot hardcover, but, but not too bad. But, it, you know, the other significant thing that this had was this was kind of the first, the first time I can remember back in the day when an original graphic novel had such impact on the mainstream Batverse. I mean, you know, I, mean, every, I think it's common knowledge and no spoiler alert needed, but you know, this is where the Joker you know, shoots Barbara, Barbara Gordon and she becomes paralyzed. And it didn't happen in the comics of, you know, the pages of a, of a Batman Monthly. It was, Barbara Gordon's it was paralyzed? Like, what? <laughs> no, it's, uh, I definitely, it's a, uh, a great book. I never read before when that hardcover came out. You're talking about, I, I, I bought it at my LCS, basically at full price. I didn't pre-order. It was a completely an impulse buy, but I'm really glad I bought it, even without a discount that I would normally get online. I, I, I Glad I got it. I felt the story that I had to read. So, um, I mean, this is exactly what I said leading into the Dark Knight. This is the Joker I had wanted to see on screen, and uh, and, I, and I felt I did. I think uh, the next one we're looking at, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, I'll give you the heads up on this one. Uh, in this amazingly imaginative tale, literary figures from throughout time and various bodies of work are brought together to face any and all threats to Britain. Alan Quartermain, Mina Murray, Captain Nemo, Dr. Henry Jekyll and Edward Hyde, and Holly Griffin, the Invisible Man, form a remarkable legion 
of Intellectual Aptitude and Physical Prowess, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, by Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. This would be the last one in the uh, books by Alan Moore category. And much like Watchmen, much like V for Vendetta, uh, this book got uh, multiple hardcover printings when the movie came out, multiple trade printings when the movie came out, and multiple absolute editions, most recently with the Black Dossier. Now, I'll go ahead and say it, because we're all thinking it. If any book was mistreated on film, comic-wise, it was definitely League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. As I, old as Captain Nemo was, man, did they throw this book under the bus. I had never read the book. I still have not. But when I saw the movie, even I was like, wow, this is a terrible movie. And I can't even imagine... I, I actually, it actually made me want to not read the comic to see if it was any better. I just did, couldn't care any less um, after seeing that movie. Well, you're right. It was so poorly handled. You, you need to read this, Ken. It is actually, as far as Al Moore goes, this is up there with Watchmen. Oh, I've been me. told I that, absolutely yeah. love that book. I've been this told book. that. It's, it's great. Um, it's, uh, it's real steampunk. It, it's just a really good story. I like it a lot. Can you guys go over the different volumes and and stories that are available i know there's that like the black dossier that's something completely different right it's a different story or is it a volume two or how does it work exactly the black dossier i have actually not read yet and i've i've heard it's not quite as good um but i believe it's a a continuation type thing hey jim i'm gonna throw that one over to you okay the uh the first two trades volume one and volume two are two miniseries uh they're pretty much collections under themselves. The first story kind of tells the coming together of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. The second volume tells them uh, the story of them fighting the Martian invasion that uh, H.G. Wells spoke of uh, in War of the Worlds, uh, the original. The Black Dossier continues the story even further into the 40s and 50s and is kind of a book within a book. Like The Black Dossier is a book in the story, and it's also the book that you're holding in your hand. And pretty much it's the entire record that the uh, the MI5 has of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen over you know X amount of years. It's like all the intel that they have, all the stuff that they've gathered into their file. So not only are you reading the story about the Black Dossier, you're reading th- uh, entries in the Black Dossier. Like uh, one is written as if it were by Jack Kerouac and the Beats. Uh, one is written uh, like a, um, a ribald, like uh, 18th century uh, Victorian romance. And uh, all these different... Um, styles are thrown together in this uh, concept you know that the, the story is about the book that you're actually reading and is what you're reading does that make sense yeah and then What's there's a new one coming out now called uh, 1910 uh, century it's coming out from top shelf i think it's coming out either this month or next but it basically follows the story uh, line of the characters from volume one and volume two into 1910 you're gonna, uh, the preview that I saw had Captain Nemo as a very old man now, but they're going to be continuing the story and the concepts. It's also drawn by Kevin O'Neill. It's just moved from DC to Top Shelf. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, but that's going to be your next Maxi series after Kingdom Come, right? I think after Green Lantern, we're going to be doing it, but I, I can't wait because I'm a big literary nerd. I can't wait to pick it apart. Yeah, it's going to be great. We'll, we'll definitely key into those. Um, these next two. I don't know if I'd classify them as science fiction, but I would. I understand why DC and Vertigo and Wildstorm did it. I'm looking at Ex Machina by Brian K. Vaughn, art by Tony Harris and Tom Feister. The world's lone superhero known as the Great Machine officially retired from crime fighting in June 2001 in order to run for the office of mayor of New York City. Ex Machina is far from a traditional cape and tights adventure story. It's a sophisticated superhero story for readers who are skeptical of anyone who can jump over a building in a single bound. 
a sci-fi story for readers who are wary of gadgets and gizmos, overwhelming character development, a New York story for anyone who thinks all the great New York stories have been told, and most of all, it's a story that will fascinate, stimulate, surprise, and shock its readers. It has done all four of those things, of those things to me. Ex Machina is um, one of those that I followed in the monthlies and that I've traded in the monthlies to start snagging the hardcovers to. The Great Machine more or less has inexplicable power, and that's part of the storyline, to talk to machines, and that you know can be anything from telling guns to jam to lowering bridges so people can get across safely. Some thoughts on Ex Machina, guys. I read, I'm going to say, two volumes or so, and I liked everything I read. I'm not exactly sure why I stopped picking it up. Maybe it was just a cut that had to be made. But I liked it. I definitely liked how it was set in New York. If I remember correctly, didn't he stop the second tower from coming down in, on 9-11? Isn't that something yeah. they weaved into the story? That is, and that's uh, a heck of a ground to run for mayor of New York as well. As far as political thriller, you don't really get the idea of whether he's a Republican or Democrat. Um, the Great Machine, Mitchell Hundred, says that he's in the, that says that he's independent, but some of the policies he makes are are, are totally uh, conservative, and then some of the social issues that he uh, harps on are are, are totally a, a more liberal stance. We're not really sure about his politics, but. Change has definitely come to New York, I guess, to borrow a, politi- a recent political phrase. It's kind of the best of both worlds of any political thriller you may have seen, plus, I guess, what, what they've described as the whole capes and tights thing. Uh, it's a little more uh, human story than I've seen. Uh, one of the uh, phrases they have is, Ex Machina's half X-Files, half West Wing, which I, I think is entirely appropriate. Did anyone else read it? <laughs> I, have, I have not read it. Yeah, I've read the first two uh, volumes. I, I really enjoyed as well, and I, it's just a it's a really good political story. I've read the first two trades, and uh, I liked it. I just uh, I haven't been able to follow up on it. I'm looking at Why the Last Man, book one, unmanned, and again, these Vertigo trades are only ten bucks a pop. The first one out. I mean, uh, John, we said the same thing about Marklanders. Made it ten bucks plus an online or a local comic discount. That's pretty hard to go wrong. Again, Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerra. This is the saga of York Brown, the only human survivor of a planet-wide plague that instantly kills every mammal possessing a Y chromosome. Accompanied by a mysterious government agent, a brilliant young geneticist, and his pet monkey, York travels the world in search of his lost love and the answer to why he's the last man on Earth. A very, very cool book. One I do not know anything about, only what is contained in the first hardcover. So I did not keep up with this. And monthly, I know it just ended with issue sixty, I believe. So um, yeah. I'm looking forward to continuing the story of Why the Last Man. It's pretty cool, and also it's been greenlit in Hollywood for a movie adaptation. Yeah, it's definitely. Um, again, I started the first couple of trades, and and I liked it. And I've been waiting for the final collection of this. Like, I wonder if it's going to be a couple of omnibus type things or. I'm just trying to hold off from buying all these trades and then maybe, you know, giant hardcovers and then whatever comes next. I don't know if there's been word of, like, how it's officially going to be collected. They're doing the hardcovers now, which are two trades. They're like 10 or 12, I guess anywhere between 11 and 12 issues. So there were, I think there were 10 trades in all because it was 60 issues. So I think when it's all done, it's probably going to be five hardcovers or six hardcovers. And also, uh, Pia won the Eisner for Best Artist last year for her run on Why the Last Man. This is something I could definitely see being like 
a weekly TV series on like an HBO or Showtime yeah. or something like a set, you know, like a set number of seasons and then have it end. I, I don't know if they can get the scope of this in a movie without tearing it apart and changing it so much. I hear it's going to be a trilogy is what they're saying, but but I totally agree with you, John. I'd like to see it more as a, a miniseries or a, or a series. I think it's just written in that way. It almost almost feels like each book at, or floppy is a is a uh, episode. And it, and it, it spans it spans quite a several years from from start to end. There's a lot of you know kind of a, a journey the characters on for sure, metaphorically and physically. But I, I ripped through these trades really really fast. Um, I was able to get a hold of them and um, and read the whole thing really really quick. It, it kind of I don't I don't know why. I read these about the same time I read Walking Dead, so I just kind of ripped through them really fast. But I enjoyed it a lot. The ending was really funky. I'm, I'm interested. I mean, I'm not going to spoil anything, but to, I, I'd be interested to know if Brian K. Vaughan initially had it intended intended for it to be 60 issues, or if he kind of got to the end there and just and just cut it off at 60. Because um, I know those last few issues were a little running behind, but it, it, issue 60 is very very different from you know issues one through 59. So. Um, it just had a real kind of funky ending, but but the the journey it's almost kind of like one of those it kind of like you know Walking Dead where you know nothing is sacred you you just kind of read through it and anything can happen you know nobody's nobody's safe nothing is sacred you know some of the stuff that happens you know just really throws you for a loop a lot of cliffhanger you know kind of things going on at the end of issues to to hook you into the next and stuff like that and just a really unique concept you know a world run by women God help us all. Or not, not just run by women, I should say, but but with only women left and one man, poor guy. But yeah, just a, a great tell. I'm looking at Transmetropolitan Volume One back on the street. After years of self-imposed exile from a civilization rife with degradation and indecency, cynical journalist Spider Jerusalem is forced to return to a job he hates and a city that he loathes. Working as an investigative reporter for the newspaper The Word. Spider attacks the injustices of his surreal 23rd century surroundings. He ventures into the dangerous Angels 8 district, home of the transients, humans who have decided to become aliens through cosmetic surgery. But his interview with their leader gets him in a scoop he doesn't bargain for. Um, our buddy Bill McGottle has been dancing around whether to pick up Transmet, and I was not really taken or captivated by Volume 1 Back on the Streets. I think... <laughs> It's very strange, because I thought this was like, okay, let's do some, like, raging social uh, commentary and criticism, but, like, I think the book tries to be funny before it tries to be preachy, and I was looking for the preachy end of things, because I just I didn't think the book was funny at all, but you guys might have another opinion on that, so I'll be more than happy to hear you out. I picked up the, uh, the dollar issue that came out uh, a week or two ago. Just to, to give it a try, because it's one of those things where I've I've heard it's good from people, but wasn't quite sure if it was up my alley. It's crazy. The book, the first issue was. I'm glad I picked it up because I think I would like to read some more, but um, it's just really out there. Uh, a really different view of of the uh, of the future. Did anybody else read it here? I, I've read pretty much all of Transmetropolitan, actually. And uh, if you stick with it, Adam, it does get a little preachier for you. But it is uh, overall very uh, very darkly funny. It's very much gallows humor. It also introduced one of the best weapons I've ever seen in any 
uh, comic book of all time. That would be the Bowel Disruptor. Um, you can set <laughs> okay, it for. Uh, I think yeah, I various, that various. Oh well, it's a gun you can shoot someone and set for various amounts of uh, intestinal discomfort. Let's just leave it at that. I call but, it um, Castle. <laughs> I call it Mountain Dew, but uh, I, I really enjoyed Transmit. I'm a big. I like Warren Ellis uh, generally, though. I mean, and the next comic we're going to talk about is probably my favorite that he's ever done. Yeah, um, and I'm looking when I can to snag the, uh, the these books. Planetary by Ellis and John Cassidy. This graphic novel features the adventures of Elijah Snow, a hundred-year-old man. Jaquita Wagner, an extremely powerful woman, and a drummer, a man with the ability to communicate with the machines. Sounds kind of like Ex Machina. Tasked with tracking down evidence of superhuman activity, these mystery archaeologists, that sounds cool, uncover unknown paranormal secrets in history, such as a World War II supercomputer that can access other universes, a ghostly spirit of vengeance, and a lost island of dying monsters. Jim, preach on about planetary, my friend. Forget all that. Forget everything that Adam just said. Just go read it, okay? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's got all these great kind of freaky Warren Ellis ideas, totally sold by beautiful, beautiful John Cassidy art. Um, the characters are just incredible. It's the same kind of thing that Alan Moore did with the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen by tying a lot of fictional characters and a lot of fictional universes together into one cohesive universe. I mean, in the course of Planetary, you meet analogs for Captain Marvel and James Bond and the Lone Ranger and the Shadow and Superman and Green Lantern and on and on and on. And this, it's all tied into this giant overarching web of a story that that just totally uh makes sense unto itself the only like huge difference between um the the big uh the big bad i guess in in the planetary world are the fantastic four basically but totally totally really evil versions of the fantastic four it's just an incredible book and it's one of those books that you know it's a lot it's under a lot of people's radar but I just I can't recommend it highly enough. John Cassidy is one of my favorite artists working today. He's just his line work just blows me away, and he he has that same thing that Kevin McGuire had in uh, in Justice League International, and uh, he's able to express so much in his drawing, like with facial expressions and uh, camera angles and things like that. It's just I think it's Warren, my favorite Warren Ellis work, um, you know, so far that I've ever read. And it's just a really cool big idea that works so well into itself as a story. Okay, and now I'm done preaching. Cool beans. Next up is uh, one of my favorite writers, Brad Meltzer, and Rags Morales' Identity Crisis. Another one of those Sinestro Corps War type event books where it just kind of comes out of nowhere and, and hits you hard from uh, DC Comics. This is the first one on the list that um, is actually in continuity, because, uh, aside from The Killing Joke. I'll just give you the, the runaround. We talked about this, to hear more about this book. It's on um, episode one of Who Reads the Watchmen, issue one. And uh, more or less, there's a murder uh, amid the ranks of the Justice League of America's family, and what, ter- what looks to be a murder mystery um, really houses a dark secret uh, for the members of the Justice League that they have to confront. Um, this came out right around the time of Rebirth, uh, from Green Lantern, and I was completely sold um, on Michael Turner's covers, which I think I said that last week about the long Halloween and Kingdom Come, too. <laughs> so uh, 
there's your awesome covers for Michael Turner on there, too. What do you guys think about Identity Crisis? I, a lot of people really got hooked on DC Comics uh, uh, as far as this being their gateway drug um, into reading different books from DC, especially the Capes and Tights stuff. Yeah, I mean, you could you could lump me into that. Yep, group. me too, me too. Um, it's it's probably my favorite DC proper, if you want to call it, um, piece of work. Um, I really love this to me, and, and I could be totally wrong. And you guys know much more of the timelines and everything, but this to me was like the last um, I don't know mini series that had like real consequences. Like, how long was Batman? Pissed off about what happened in this book. Well, you could say that this this storyline, this book, kicked off basically the 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 saga of the DC universe for till today. I mean, this kicked off you know between the uh, the eventual breakup of the Justice League. It kicked off, which which then in turn created the uh, was part of the OMAC project uh, project, which brought us the Final Crisis, which brought us to Fifty Two, which brought us to the you know or Infinite Crisis. Excuse me. I mean, this really set a lot of things in motion. To uh, get us to where we are today in uh, in the DC universe, it really um, n- more than any single comic, more than Green, Lan- Green Lantern Rebirth, which was pretty isolated to the Green Lantern universe. Uh, this did, I mean, this really changed the way uh, the DC universe, I think, was uh, was moving. It really changed the direction more than any other storyline. I think one of its strengths is that Meltzer had a timeline as far as issues to get the job done. And when he was given an X number run for the, his Justice League relaunch, things kind of got a little wordy <laughs> with the Solomon Grundy Tornadoes Path storyline. This is an awesome compressed, and it's also an awesome decompressed story. I, I like that about it. And I wanted to ask you guys this. Why is it that a, a lot of people jumped on with this book, but you don't hear a lot of people jumping on with Infinite Crisis or Civil War or Secret Invasion or Final Crisis? Because this is the event book that wasn't an event book. Well, I think I think as much it, as it did what I said it did, it also was self-contained. You can read this and understand absolutely. what's going on without touching anything else. I, I picked it up in hardcover form, you know, right out of the blue. I think I'm going to try to read some DC. Somebody recommended it, picked it up, understood it completely. And it, like Ken was just saying, everything since then has come out of... This book, you know, there was no precursor to Identity Crisis as far as I was concerned. I didn't need to know anything that happened before this. But since then, it's like the key book of the universe, really. Is that yeah, crazy? I, I, and for the, for the Green Lantern fans, this came out, as Adam was saying, either right alongside or a little bit ahead of uh, Green Lantern Rebirth. But there's a moment in this, in this book where um, Ollie, Green Arrow, is talking with... Um, um, Hal Jordan, who at this point is still Spectre, he's like, so when you come back? He's like, what, I'm here? He's like, no, no, really. When you come back? He's like, I'm working on it. And you just, you just know like that's right before, before Rebirth was about to kick in. Russ, what do you think? Oh, I love it. You know, I picked this up in single issues. Um, I really want to get a hold of the hardcover because this is something that I'll, I'll go back to the well on a lot. I've read it twice so far. Um, and, and, you know, this is one of those, you know, kind of perennial, this for me could easily be one of those perennial read kind of things. I can, I could, I, I easily see myself being able to go back and read this over and over again. And like everybody said, it's, it's very self-contained. Um, you know, it's kind of, kind of murder mystery, kind of not, you know, you know, kind of almost like Watchmen, you know, where it, you know, it starts off as a murder mystery and then kind of goes into, you know, backstory. This is almost like retconning done right. They, they delve into some things that were done in the past. Like Jeff Johns. Like, uh, very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
like yeah. tipping the hat, but not rewriting history. Exactly, exactly. There's no blatant like, oh, you know, this is this is totally contradicting things that happened before. But it just it fleshes things out and makes some sense of some stuff. I know people have talked about it on another podcast where they talk about, you know, how how certain villains knew heroes' identities and then seemed to not know them or, you know, things like that. And this this kind of explains away a lot of that stuff. Made Zatanna a much cooler character than I'd ever seen her portrayed before. It's it's magic, really. I, I like this um, book because um, it was also my entry. I p- started picking it up around the third or maybe fourth issue, and I bought the, 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 the first couple before that. And it gave me access to a lot of characters in the DC Universe in one book. And from there, I was able to pick and choose who I wanted to continue to follow. You know, I started reading Superman. I started reading, I continued to read uh, Justice League, uh, Green Lantern, of course. But I was able to get a, a broad view of the of the DC Universe, basically sample individual characters and be able to work my way out from there, which that just grew with the, the, the titles that came after. I'm looking at Batman The Dark Knight Returns. I'm going to lump this into the same category as The Killing Joke and assume you all think it's awesome, correct? Correct, sir. I, I can awesome. see its place in history. I was not as wowed by this book as everybody else seems to be. Granted, I read it 20 years later, and um, it just it just didn't do it to do it for me the way it seems to hit so many people. Again, I'm Batman is not my my most favorite character. Not that to say I don't like him, uh, but it's um, yeah I I can appreciate why people like it. It just didn't do it for me. I'm right with you, uh, Ken, and I'm a huge Batman fan as most people know. It's I thought it was a chore to read it. I have it on my pile of books to read again just because of. Everyone says it's so great, I think maybe I missed something. But uh, when I first read it, I, I really struggled through it. Well, Reed, you're not, you're not a big fan of Miller's Batman in general, right? I mean, you hate All-Star. Um, I don't like All-Star, but Year One is my favorite Batman story okay. of all time. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say the Dark Knight Returns Batman is like the older version of the All-Star Batman. <laughs> Same kind of grumpy, like... Uh, out, you know, same same kind of outlook, even vocabulary. Well, not so much, but I, th- I think well, a lot like Watchmen, you have to take it in the context of when it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, up until that point, nothing looked like that. Nothing was written like that. Nothing was coming out that was even close to what Frank Miller did with that. And it was a real game changer. And I know now it seems kind of uh, hackneyed and kind of like you've seen it a million times before in the whole grim and gritty stance and uh, that we went through in the late 80s and 90s or whatever but when that book came out like I said there was nothing else like it that had come out um, more Frank Miller uh, in the same category as books from best-selling authors I'm looking at Ronan by writer and artist Frank Miller here's the skinny in this tale of a legendary warrior the Ronan a dishonored maskless 13th century samurai is mystically given a second chance to avenge his master's death. Suddenly finding himself reborn in a futuristic and corrupt 21st century New York City, the samurai discovers he has one last chance to regain his honor. He must defeat the reincarnation of his master's killer, the ancient demon Agat. In a time and place foreign and unfathomable to him, the Ronin stands against his greatest enemy and with his life, and more importantly, his soul at stake. This is a revenge book, if I've ever seen one. But the best thing I could compare it to was uh, Frank Miller's Hard Boiled, which we did a one-shot episode a couple months back on. It seems to me that, like the whole future imperfect thing is 
something that Miller just joneses and, and, and loves so much that I think he revisited this in, in Hard Boiled. Now, Ronan just came out, again, in absolute format. I don't seem to think that the story was that great or iconic. Of course, I could say the same about the Azarello Superman for Tomorrow Absolute that just came out, um, that it deserved the absolute treatment. But I will tell you that I enjoyed the very first part of Ronan, and then I, I the, the spirit didn't move me for the rest of the book. Um, Frank Miller fans, check it out, but I'm not going to recommend this to anyone. What do you guys think? I, I like it. It's not my favorite Miller. I like where it went. I, I'm afraid of the movie. If you guys um, haven't heard, you know, this, this will be a movie. I'm afraid that the the way it plays out, and I'm not going to spoil it, but the way it plays out could be bad in live action form. Like, uh, the half hour wasted guys talk a lot about Fight Club. I, I love Fight Club. I love the book. I love the movie. But. Brad Pitt beating himself up at the end doesn't get across, you know, what you're supposed to get across at the end of the book. Um, I think that could happen here. Yeah, this is another one that's kind of on my to-read pile. Um, I, you know, again, I, I like Frank Miller quite a bit, but I just haven't picked this one up. Yeah, I haven't read it either. I think if, if, if this were put out by anyone but Frank Miller, it would be a high-water mark. But for Frank Miller, it's kind of a watershed mark. I, I was kind of disappointed by Ronan when it came out back in the day. It was kind of the same thing we'd already seen in a couple of his other things. Cool. Uh, next, which our buddy Chris over at Wild Pig Comics thinks is the best comic ever is uh, Sandman Volume 1 from Vertigo, Preludes and Nocturnes. I'm going to read the summary on this because I don't know anything about Sandman myself, so maybe this will help me understanding what you guys think of it. Um, In Preludes and Nocturnes, an occultist attempting to capture death to bargain for eternal life traps her younger brother, Dream, instead. After his 70-year imprisonment and eventual escape, Dream, also known as Morpheus, goes on a quest for his lost objects of power. On his arduous journey, Morpheus encounters Lucifer, John Constantine of Hellblazer fame, and an all-powerful madman. This book also includes the story of the soul of her wings, which introduces us to the pragmatic, perky goth girl death. Well, there's, there's a good family read before everyone goes to bed. Okay, so to be, to uh, be clear, this is not a Spider-Man comic then, right? <laughs> Guess not. Yeah. Gaiman and, and DC are kind of an interesting pair. Uh, they're going to be doing a, a Metamorpho story for a Wednesday comics coming up. Having only read Marvel 1602 from Gaiman, I, I cannot speak intelligently about this book. Do we have any Sandman aficionados in the house? I am. I I think Sandman is probably the best comic book I've ever read. I would definitely put it at number one or number two, like Sandman and Watchmen, maybe. Basically, Sandman, I, I, not to take away from your wonderful introduction there, Adam, Sandman is basically a story about stories. Dream is the embodiment of stories, because all stories start as dreams, daydreams, uh, imagination and whatnot, and Gaiman is able to use you know the character as metaphor throughout the entire run of Sandman. Um, there's some really great uh, moments, great storylines, great characters. Uh, I've read all the way through Sandman probably three or four times, and I mean that's like all seven or eight trades that there are. And uh, I don't know, I I would love to do this as a maxi series some somewhere down the road, especially if you guys haven't read it. Oh, I'd I'd love to read it. Just wait for the right time when my uh, to-read pile gets lowered. And I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll tell you what, Jim, I'll do you one better. 
I'll put this on my list to get next time I see it. I've uh, I borrowed it from the library about a year ago or so, and and I read through it. Uh, it was another one that was kind of a chore for me. I don't know. I maybe I wasn't in the mood for that at the time. What it was, but maybe I just didn't get it. I, I have sometimes some trouble reading into some things as much as you all do. Um, I do like Gaiman stuff. I've read some of his novels, but this just wasn't for me, so I never really picked up any more of his stuff, of his Sandman run, at least. I've been pitching to to read these. I, I When the Absolutes came out, I thought that would be a, a good time because I, they went through, kind of like Watchmen, recolored everything for the Absolutes, and I think they're up to volume four on the Absolutes now, and I, I can't remember if it's going to be five or six volumes, or seven even, of, of, the, of the Absolutes, but I think that would be a really cool way to collect this and, and read it because it, it's one of those I've heard nothing but good about. Again, something I'd like to read. I know my my daughter is a huge fan of the Death, Time of Your Life, and Death, High Cost of Living, were the two kind of side miniseries that came and wrote. And they're they're coming with that in an absolute edition. Um, it's in the the March solicits for previews, so I'm actually going to pick that up for her because she just she likes a lot of the game and stuff. So and just particularly like that character. Bill Willingham, who's the new writer for Justice Society of America, and uh, Lan Medina wrote and illustrated Fables, Volume One: Legends and Exile. Um, if you've read Gregory, Gregory, if you read Gregory Maguire's Ugly or his other book, um, Confessions of an Ugly Stepsister, you kind of get the twist—not so much with the villains, but you get the twist on kind of like the story behind the story with um, the fairy tale characters. And what happens with fables is a savage creature, known only as the adversary, conquers the fabled lands of legends and fairy tales. And everyone else gets um, scattered because of the adversary's attacks. And they escape through these portals to the real world and reside in um, modern-day Manhattan on the Upper West Side uh, in an apartment building called Fable Town. Now, with this and the farmland to the north, um, you see Snow White, her sister Rose Red, uh, Cinderella, uh, uh, Beast, uh, Little Boy Blue, and a bunch of other characters, uh, namely uh, the Sheriff uh, and Chief Detective, the Big Bad Wolf, um, interplay with each other. And it's kind of like <laughs> it's kind of like the pangs of being uh, bestowed with eternal life. <laughs> that kind of melancholy tone everyone has, like, oh my God. I- definitely been alive for 30,000 years or whatever, but um, Legends in Exile starts with a murder mystery, and if I'm correct, we're up to about issue 75 or so of Fables and trade number 11 in Fables, and I know a couple of you guys are reading it right now. Yeah, I just got through uh, trade number 5, and it's it's a really good book. I really enjoy it. It's like you're taking the Fable characters and almost making the how they interact like how they would be in in real life they're they're very real um they've also had the spin-off series Jack of Fables uh which I read the first trade of that and uh that was also a whole lot of fun I'm a I'm 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 new to Fables over the last couple of months I I I'm loving it though when people when you when you're looking for a book to give to anybody someone who maybe doesn't read comics uh, before and you want something to introduce them, Fables is definitely one I would recommend to give to anybody, mainly because it has characters and themes that everyone's familiar with. I mean, Snow White, Cinderella, you know, you, you, people know who these people are, but they put them in such unique situations that you wouldn't expect. The first trade is 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 good as a story. It's it's decent. Um, it serves better to kind of introduce you to the status quo of the world and learn the politics and learn where everybody is. 
the the second second trade animal farm is uh, I actually thought much better, and I'm just working my way through now. I even uh, I have my wife on the hook. She intends to to read it. She's promised me she would, but she's been putting it off. And I keep trying to like here. You got to read it. It's it it won't take you long, and just I'll never bug you again. But I know once she does, she'll uh, she'll really enjoy it. So again, it's a book I can I'll give to anybody. Like they want to try something here, try this. And um, in fairness, is kind of a buyer beware. The the actual story of fables doesn't necessarily kick in until the fourth trade homelands. So like they don't really deal with the adversary until I mean it, it, it's a topic of conversation who mm-hmm. this you know mysterious you know force is. But I'd say homelands is the one that sold me. But I'm waiting until fables gets collected and hard covered to to get them officially proper done right. I'm gonna lump these next two together in the same. Uh, discussion, which is Batman Arkham Asylum by Morrison and Dave McKean, and also the new original graphic novel by Brian Azzarello and Lee Berhamo, which came out uh, right after The Dark Knight came out. So let's talk to Arkham Asylum and Joker, guys. I uh, I hate Arkham Asylum. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was really excited about it, thinking when I first picked it up, thinking this is just going to be great. I've heard good things about it. Uh, didn't look at it on the inside at all, really, and then start reading through it, and I was like, what the heck is this? I finished it because I had it, but <laughs> most comic books, I would probably would have just put it down and, and gone on. But, uh, yeah, I really hate this book. I don't hate it, but I definitely don't love it as much as a lot of people. It's very different. I, I appreciate that it's different. I think the art's really cool, but not for a comic book, if that makes any sense. And, like, I got the scribbling and everything for what it was supposed to do, but it made it difficult to read. So, I don't know. I I have mixed feelings about it, I guess. I appreciate the art factor of it and that it's very different and cool, but I guess maybe it missed the mark a little bit for me. But, John, you're such a Morrison fan normally. I I don't hate Morrison. I don't love him either. Well, in fairness, though, you like the Azzarello Joker original graphic novel a lot better, though, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I thought that was a great way to connect the movie you know, universe into the comics. Um, I thought at that time, and again, I, I could be wrong, but I felt at that time that the Joker just really had no juice. And it, and it kind of bewildered me why this movie was coming out and the Joker was such a huge part but they weren't backing it in the comics. Like, he was just showing up in, like, some weird spots, and I know, like, in Detective, he had, like, a pretty cool one-shot where he kidnapped Robin, but that was really about it. And I felt this could have been a good way to, you know, bring the threat of him back into the comics. Um, I don't know that it did that, but that's how I felt at the time when it came out. And also, you can get Lee Brahamo's, um artwork at SplashPageArt.com from Mark, too. He... Mark is uh, Lee's uh, art dealer. Still a couple pages left from this uh, graphic novel up on the page, too. Um, I thought it was weird, and a lot of people... Uh, it's funny that, like, you know, you read all 100 pages of this or whatever, and you're like, well, wait, wasn't it weird when he said that? <laughs> because, like, uh, the penguin's name in this book is Abner instead of Oswald. Oswald, and, like, a purist by no means. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Because when Azzarello wrote uh, Broken City... That was, that was that happened right after Hush. I mean, the Penguin had a huge part in Broken City, and he called him Oswald there. So, like, I don't know. He's got he's got the Penguin comb over, 
But I just thought that was weird. But a, a cool graphic novel to snag, uh, especially anyone who really wants to key into the uh, Dark Knight uh, set uh, mindset of that. You know what I mean? Also, uh, Kingdom Comes listed on here, which we are doing right now. So I guess we have awesome taste, dudes. And likewise, All-Star Superman Volume 1's on here. Now, we're going to continue in a couple weeks with All-Star Volume 2. Our next pick is Superman Red Sun by Mark Millar. Uh, Dave Johnson and Killian Plunkett, which more or less, I mean, and, and here's the here's the 10-second description. Superman gets rocketed and he lands in Russia. So <laughs> the Superman exists, but he's not American. He's Russian. <laughs> and this is supposed to be the next motion comic from um, Warner Animation, too. So I, I cannot speak to this one either, although I see it every time I'm at the comic store, and likewise this past weekend at Wild Pig. But I have not picked it up yet. Tell me, should I or should I not read this, guys? You should get this. You should definitely. If you like alternate history, this is actually probably one of the first or second trades I picked out when I got back into comics. I like, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Mark Millar fan, but uh, but I really, really like this book. It's it just, if you know the history of Superman, just to see how they do it, how they bring it into a Superman living in Russia. It's really, really interesting. They you have a lot of the characters from the Justice League uh, show up, but obviously they're different. Like you get a big Batman scene, you have Wonder Woman, Green Lanterns in there, um, and it's got a crazy twist. So I think uh, a lot of people would like if they give it a shot. You can't tell enough. Elseworlds, Superman, and Batman stories, in my opinion. I love, love Elseworlds. I really wish they would come back with Elseworlds. And this is one that I missed it when issue one, because I think this was four or five prestige format um, issues. They did a lot of the Elseworlds stuff as prestige format for a, for a long time, especially in the 90s. And this one, like, number one, flew off the shelves. I couldn't find it anywhere. If you did find it, like, two months after it came out, it was, like, ridiculously jacked up price-wise, and like the, the other issues were a little more abundant. But I never could find that issue one without getting kind of raked over the coal, so I never picked it up. But I have I thumbed through it you know, while it was on the shelves and looked through it, and it just looks like a really cool concept. And one they followed up with um, in Countdown even, they, you know, that was, that's one of the 52, um, you know, 52 universes um, mm-hmm. that are out there, 52 Earths that are out there. But I just I, I love Elseworlds stuff. I, I eat up Elseworlds. Are you a big fan of What If on Marvel as well, Russell? Yeah, I just I just haven't read a lot of it, but yeah, I do like the What If. I love alternate stuff. I love when they can just take a take a concept and turn it on its head, and it doesn't really. I mean, I, I know ultimately it doesn't mean anything, but I just love when you can take a story and not be constrained by the fact that these characters are you know perpetual entities, and you can take them and do what you know if you want to kill Superman and if you want to kill Spider Man, you want to kill Cap, you know, kill whoever kind of play it out as if that were to really happen or, you know, set up a nuclear bomb somewhere and, you know, play that out. I just love that, you know, that it's just like a big old sandbox. And, you know, I think they're just really, really fun stories. So I guess you're enjoying Ultimatum then. <laughs> as they kill off everyone in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't read three yet, but yeah, I wanted to. But, but yeah, in general, I, I just love that kind of stuff. That wraps up books that redefine modern superheroes. Uh, that was a little short category, but we also didn't go over All-Star Soups and Kingdom Come in that one, so I think um, this next category is going to be our last one for tonight. Guys, I'm going to have a couple follow-up dude questions for you. Books for mature readers. 
another Morrison title, uh, Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly, uh, who are going to be re-teaming together on the Batman and Robin title uh, coming up in June. Uh, we three, and being unfamiliar with this one, and I, I don't think a lot of people might be aware of this, it says, Morrison and Quietly tell the unforgettable story of three innocent pets, a dog, a cat, and rabbit, who have been converted into deadly cyborgs by a sinister military weapons program. Okay, <laughs> you had me at cyborg. <laughs> with nervous systems amplified. <laughs> with nervous systems amplified to match their terrifying mechanical exoskeletons, the members of Animal Weapon 3 have the firepower of a battalion between them. But they're just the program's prototypes. And now that their testing is complete, they're slated to be permanently decommissioned until they seize their one chance to make a desperate run for freedom. This kind of sounds like Homeward Bound, <laughs> those crappy Disney movies, but with bazookas. So uh, I need to go get this this week. Uh, relentlessly pursued by their makers, the Wii 3 team must navigate a frightening and confusing world where their instincts are and heightened abilities make them as much of a threat as those hunting them, but a world nonetheless in which somewhere... There's something called home. I think I called that one. Uh, anybody read this? I did. It was good. Yeah, what's the, awesome. It, it sounds awesome. It's <laughs> like Milo and Otis crossed with Terminator. It's it's pretty cool. I'll say every and single... Friend, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, this has also been optioned for a movie. Wow, I can't wait yeah. to see that. I, I, every single book in yeah. this in this pamphlet that we just been discussing, even if I haven't read them, I've at least heard of them before. I have never heard of this title before, and I am I am also interested in this as well. It's worth reading. I, I, it's, it's definitely one of the. It's it's definitely unusual. <laughs> I'll give you that, but uh, I liked it. It was pretty. I thought it was pretty cool. Cool. This will be a pass for me. You're not, not an animal lover, are you? I'm. I'm not. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a real big fan of yeah stories about animals in general. But you know, I'm not exactly the large, the world's largest Grant Morrison slash Frank Whiteley team up um, fan. I think All Star Superman is like the exception um, with those two guys teaming up. I, I just think the uh, the premise is too good to not to not try it out. <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but to say this, but I mean, these are just I'm looking at the preview pages on the website, and this is such Frank quietly like typical shots that he that he, that he has like um, the guy with the goatee who's smiling. That is the exact pose that like Luthor does, you know, in All Star, like. I will say that, like, Quietly's good with what he does. You know, like, I, I don't want to, like, you know, pigeonhole or stereotype him too much with, with his, like, ridiculously devilish close-ups, but, I mean, the man does it well when he does it, and I think I think that's pretty cool. Anybody else for Wii 3? Okay. Um, Ken, I'm going to go to you first on this one, okay? Are you ready? I'm ready. Preacher Volume 1, Gone in Texas, one of the most celebrated comic titles of the late 1990s. Preacher is a modern American epic of life, death, love, and redemption. Sex, <laughs> blood, and bullets. Not to mention angels, demons, God, vampires, and deviants of all stripes. <clears throat> At first glance, the Reverend Jesse Custer doesn't look like anyone special. Just another small-town minister slowly losing his flock and his faith. But he's about to come face-to-face -face with proof that God does indeed exist. Yes, he does. Yeah. Merging with a bizarre spiritual force called Genesis... Jesse now possesses the power of the word, an ability to make people do whatever he utters. He begins a violent and riotous journey across country in search of answers from the elusive deity known as God. You definitely bought eight volumes of this this weekend. <laughs> I saw you. Don't lie. 
I'm not. I'm not lying. Let me let me tell you, let me tell you. If you've listened to, go ahead. Those that need to hear the gory details, you can check out uh, the audio vlog Ken and I uh, recorded on the Half Hour Elite of Dudes website when we talk about Preacher a little bit more. But um, you just finished reading Volume 1, and uh, look at you reading 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 right now. Talk about it. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's... if you listen to the audio blog, or if you listen to my to uh, Too Old to Grow Up, I've talked about this already, and, and I'm gonna say it again. Uh, we went to Adam. And I went to Wild Pig this weekend to get you know half price books, and last year I went, and one of the books I got was Preacher Volume One, and, and I waited a year almost to read it finally, and 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 I, this is not an exaggeration. I hated myself for waiting that year. Preacher is, I, I I haven't read a book, and believe me, I have not as well read as some of the guys on this panel. But I have not read a book that, you know, challenged my senses more, and that was just the first volume. I'm now up through. I've read three just today, and I still have um, four through nine to get through because I bought them all this weekend. I am not a, a a very religious person at all, but I love stories that challenge the status quo or challenge what um, religious dogma is. It's why I like you know movies like Dogma or or more graphic things, and and that's what I really gr- loved about Preacher. If if you are like uh, I would say if you are a very religious person and you and and you don't like to to blaspheme at all, I'd say stay away. But if you want to have your your mind challenged and your and your senses completely overloaded and just go for an incredibly deranged but fulfilling ride, get Preacher and read it, and you will read them all. It's so so good. Anybody else want to jump in? Uh, well, I actually I think- just picked up the uh, the first trade last week, and I am definitely in for the ride. I'm going to be getting uh, the rest of them. It's great so far. Just volume one you read? Yes. All right. Uh, wait till you see volume two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have one sitting on my to-read pile. I- I'm hoping to get to it next. They're hard-covering like two volumes at a time now. Yeah, they think they just started that, yeah. It, it's funny that what I'll say about this, and I, I think if you guys have listened to Half Hour Wasted, you've heard Brad Miles say that, but when uh, when I went up for Wizard World Texas and stayed for Brad, he had like his preacher trades, and he said, this book goes against like everything I was brought up to believe, he said, but it is such a, I hope he doesn't mind me for, for paraphrasing him, but he uh, he said it's just like one of those, it's such a guilty pleasure, but he feels like when he reads it, he needs to stay away from you know, like pools of water or anything that, you know, is like conductive to electricity. But I have not struck down where he stands for reading it. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But, uh, but I I did put it on my DCBS order for the first hardcover. I I, I do hope we get, I do hope we get the chance uh, to cover it. Legion of dude style at some point in the future. Preacher is uh, one of the finest graphic novel experiences I've ever had. And uh, Ken, you're telling him to wait for volume two. You wait till the end of the story, dude. I mean, seriously. Yeah, I'm it's looking forward to it. The the characters, I love, I love all the characters: Tulip, Cassidy, Jesse, and uh, and Hair Star. <laughs> oh, man. oh yeah. And uh, I, I said this in the email thread. And I wanted to say it on the podcast as well. There are images in Preacher that I will carry with me to the grave, and I mean that in the best possible way. Yep. You know, the only thing that that I'll say that that I, that leans me a little in the negative is I am not a really big fan of Steve Dillon's art. For me, I don't know why it is. Maybe it's only me, but it seems like in his art, everybody has the same face. And if if you have two <laughs> characters that are kind of that kind of have the same hair color or eye color. It, it's hard to tell people apart. He started his run on, or he started the Wolverine Origins run, and I had a real hard time in the beginning trying to keep track of who's who. When, when you're looking at Omega Red, and he has the same facial structure 
as Wolverine, except his face is white and, you know, like powder white and Wolverine's is not. It's just, yeah. uh, there's just something about its art that just, I don't know what it is. It just, everybody looks the same. I'm not going to say that that's not there. Certainly it's not. I wouldn't say it's among the main characters, but I, I can, I can see that. I will say, however, don't let that stop you from, from trying it. I, you know, really, no, no, no. it's, it's, uh, no. It kind of works with the story for me, though. I mean, I, I, I granted, I understand you know what you're saying about Wolverine and, and Omega Red not looking alike or whatever. But for me, it's weird because when I see Steve Dillon draw anything but Preacher, it makes it look like Preacher to me. Does that make sense? Because yeah, I guess yeah. that's what I read first of his or whatever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope the rumors are true that they're making it into an HBO series. I really do. <laughs> Because uh, uh, it would well, be a got, great series, and it's a, it's just a great, great story. So I got to meet Dylan before Baltimore a couple months ago. Uh, our buddy Bill Hughes uh, from Just Bill's Comics Your Box podcast was there, too. Um, we asked him, uh, what's the story on HBO? And, uh, you know, this has kind of uh, made the round somewhat, but HBO actually passed on Preacher, which I think is crazy considering the junk they have on HBO right now. So... Uh, uh, they're shopping it around uh, for a movie deal, but HBO officially, uh, you know, a couple months back, passed on Preacher, which I think is crazy. So whatever. But um, as far as Garth Ennis' stuff, of course, Garth, Garth is doing The Boys right now, which I would also recommend for mature readers since we're doing this category. Guilty, uh, guilty pleasure. Um, <laughs> and um, he's also best known for uh, his run with Dylan on uh, The Punisher with the whole uh, Welcome Back, Frank line with uh, Manucci, who looks nothing like any other uh, of his drawings. Um, anything else Garth Ennis-related, I would not recommend Crossed uh, to anyone, but any other Garth Ennis books while we're on the topic of his stuff that we would recommend after Watchmen? I second your recommendation of The Boys. I really, I really am amused by that book. Preacher, guys, that, that's kind of it for the list. I'm looking at this, and we pretty much went over 20 books in a pretty good amount of time, too. So uh, just think of this episode, folks, as uh, 21 shots all at once. Now, I guess the logical question is, number one, do you think this list is complete? And number two, does anything need to be taken off of this list? And number three, what would you add to the list? And I'm going to toss. I'm going to toss it over to Ken. Now, I think this list is a great starting point for anybody who wants to looking for more after Watchmen. There's lots of places to go. Uh, what's great about this list is that there's a variety of stuff on there. I mean, maybe you don't want something more mature. Maybe you want something more capes and tights and that, so that you have like uh, identity crisis or things like that. You want something that's a little more adult mature. Go for something like uh, uh, like Preacher or even Fables. There's a lot of stuff. There's a good variety there. So whatever about Watchmen that you like, there'll be something else out there that you can grab onto and and read more. And from there, just look for more like whatever you like. There's a lot out there. Talk to your LCS uh, as well. I'm, anybody listening to this podcast, for the most part, is probably already knows all this. But you know, when you're talking to people, your friends, they want to know what to do, that's what you tell them. Yeah, send them to the website after Watchmen.com or uh, give them your copy of the pamphlet. Reed, what do you think? I think some of these are very different than uh, Watchmen, obviously. Um, but I think that this is basically a list of, this is some really good stuff, good stuff that uh, that DC has done. Yeah, I think it's a, definitely a good place to start. Um, I think maybe talk to some people you know who have read some of this, these things to maybe decide more or less if it's it's something you go for. Do you guys think, and we'll get to Jim and Russ in a second, let's, let's kind of get your thoughts on this. Do you think that, uh, let's say Watchmen belonged to Marvel, and then Marvel put out a publication like this. Uh, do you think that DC does 
because of Vertigo and Wildstorm. Don't let me, I'm not just you know telling the company line like we were talking about earlier. But um, do you think uh, DC in general does better with the mature read stuff? I mean, I understand that Marvel has the icon line with Ed Brubaker's Criminal and, and stuff like that, but I seem to think that you know, I, and I understand that they have Earth X and Universe X and other one-shots and stuff like that over in Marvel Land, but I, I kind of think that DC does this a little bit better than Marvel. But, again, a lot of these titles, you know, were 90s, late 90s, not entirely too new uh, books are on this list. A couple of the old reliables like Sandman and Swamp Thing are on here, too. What do you guys say to that? I would totally um, agree with you on that one. I th- it just... I think the Vertigo line is great. I think they have a lot of good quality uh, books, and and that's where uh, most of their mature stuff is coming from. Yeah, I think I think on the Marvel side, I mean, they've got the Max imprint, which you know probably the biggest book out of the Max is the is the Punisher line that they've got going, and I think Garth Ennis is writing the 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 Max Punisher. I mean, that's his. I think he just actually just finished that run, um, and they've had a sorted. You know, most of the most of the Mac stuff is like maybe even a little more adult, even than some of the Vertigo stuff. Some 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 of it not, but some of it. But but it always ties back to the superhero side of things. I mean, the you know the Mac stuff is usually like things like you know Cage, you know where it's Luke Cage and it's and it's you know way out there on the adult side or Wisdom or there's a Thor book that you know that was Max. They did a Fury book that was Max. They did um, a, a Punisher book called Born which takes place during Vietnam that Garth Ennis wrote as well. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think if, if, if this list were done by Marvel, say, I think there'd be a lot of Mac stuff on there if, if, to, to kind of coincide with what, um, with the DC list. So could you toss anything or take away anything that's on this list, Russ? You know, take away is kind of tough because um, it's pretty representative. I mean, maybe, you know, like I said, I'm not the biggest Morrison fan, so, you know, maybe the Wii 3 or you know, something like that, but I'm not going to be too critical of what to take away. Um, as far as the ads go, I, I think I would definitely add something like uh, like Darwin Cook's New Frontier. To get more Batman, if you want to take it in that direction, I would do either Hush or another Jeff Lee, the Long Halloween, you know, because that kind of goes, um, you know, Long Halloween. Would, would you toss that, because would you toss that into the redefine category, because, you know, that the DC has set out for this, like, project that they've been doing? Um, like yeah, maybe books that. redefine the modern superhero because I think Long Halloween was a pretty good, if not redefinition, kind of like a good no. uh, bolster, a, a good blockade. Like, hey, this don't forget who Batman is, you know? Yeah, it's an, I mean, it's more of an extension of Year One, and in you know, in some regards, Dark Knight Returns because it kind of has that same flair to it. But you know, I just I think if if you're saying what's next, like I said, I think if you're putting stuff in here like Kingdom Come and you're putting Identity Crisis, I think I think it's it's I think it's somewhat of a crime to not include something like New Frontier because it's just such a feel-good book, self-contained, you know, not your typical superhero fare. Um, and and Russ, and I'd say if you go to that website we were talking about AfterWatchmen.com, there are a lot more books on that in, on that site than are printed in the pamphlet we, we used as our as our talking points tonight. In there is DC's New Frontier, so it is included in the list there. Gotcha. Also in there is um, uh, is is Robinson Starman on the bus. So I mean, even if you get in trade or or the uh, or on the bus, that's on that list as well. Another great one to try if you if you like Watchmen. Yeah, definitely. So uh, Jim, 
let's talk about the list. Is it a good list? What would you add? What would you take away, if anything? Uh, I don't know if I'd take anything away. I would add a lot more, though. I mean, Astro City, I thought, uh, would fit very well on that list as far as redefining superheroes. Uh, the Authority, I thought, would fit very well on this list. Um, I would have probably replaced Ronin with Batman Year One just because it's better Miller. On the Marvel side of things, I'd have to go with Powers, which I think would be uh, you know right along the line of a, of a Watchmen uh, fan. It's pretty much Law and Order with superheroes. It's by Bendis. Uh, it's oh. kind of the indie, indie, you know, well, it's kind of the indie comic that made his name, and it's better than anything he's ever written for Marvel. I, I guarantee that. I just, I love Powers. You know I, I second that, Jim. Part? That's great. That Powers is really, really good. If I could just yeah, su- say, if I can just jump in, uh, sorry to interrupt. Uh, again, on the website, you know, you're you've nailed it. Um, you know, Batman Year One is on that list uh, on on theafterwatchman.com. Long Halloween, we mentioned that's on that list as well. Uh, Astro City is there as well, so there's a, a a great representation. So you guys are nailing every all the ones you say you want to add. They've already are thinking of the authorities on there. Um, what what I one that I found interesting on there as well is the Lex Luthor Man of Steel uh, is a mini that really kind of not so much told Lex Luthor's story, but again it gave a uh, uh, a different take on on Luthor um, and his motivations against Superman. That was that was a, a a nice a good story from that angle. And the same team that did Joker, uh, the Joker. It's uh, Azrello and uh, and Lee as well yes. on that. Yeah, it is. I, I, I have to. I was. I, you know, Jim, you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, I would absolutely have to say the authority because I was very surprised, conspicuous in its absence. I, I really wondered why they didn't toss the authority into this free pamphlet. Because uh, what would you rather have? Just as a as a you know as a marketing ploy, right? I would rather have someone buy volume one of Authority. Because, it, I mean, the end of Volume 1 with Jenny Sparks and everything is crazy. Plus, with, with, the, with, with the idea that they could buy, you know, Volume 2, Volume 3, whatever, as opposed to some of the a little, little stranger one-shots that they threw in there like Ronan. I, I think that going back to that one, I think Ronan's a little famous because it was Frank Miller, not because of the story like with what you said. But um, I would also uh, toss on uh, Northlanders. I would also toss on uh, Alan Moore for the Alan Moore category, uh, From Hell. I would take off uh, V for Vendetta, and I would put on From Hell. And as far as espionage stuff, I'd take out We Three, and I would add in Queen and Country by Greg Rucka. And I understand they're different companies, though, too. So um, I think the list is pretty good, though. I mean, like, that's, that's a pretty tall order. Like, boil down everything to the bare essentials. What are you going to need to hook someone to key into that and I think all of them apply to a mature reader title, with maybe the exception of All Star Superman. But if we're going with all publishers, if we're going with all publishers, I'd like to add um, uh, Rising Stars by Straczynski. I think that's a really good one. Uh, the Supreme Power, uh, also by Straczynski, and um, oh crap, I was just thinking of it. I can't remember now. Oh, Squadron Supreme. Uh, from the uh, the late '80s, it was kind of a a Marvel spiritual successor to Watchmen. It's kind of a uh, little known by J Jam D. Mateus. So cool. Well, guys, uh, anything else we want to talk about after Watchmen? I think the uh, I think it's finally done, and we're probably going to have a Watchmen episode coming up when uh, the DVD comes out with uh, some dudes commentary we had talked about. Real quick, we have a couple of uh, thank yous here. Um, first of all, thanks to some new forum members who have been joining us, uh, Smog and African Adventure. Thank you guys uh, very much. And also, uh, XXXVG, we'd like to thank you for uh, jumping on the forum as well. 
Um, we have some comments to read from Kingdom Come, which we'll wait till next week when we do the uh, Kingdom Come number three episode. So uh, make sure you guys are caught up on your reading. And also, uh, we'd like to thank Lisa Ferry of Pink Raygun. Um, she's an awesome blog entry about us. Uh, Lisa was on two episodes ago. She was on Brad and Frank's and Bill's Half Hour Wasted Show. So thanks to the folks over at uh, Pink Raygun. It's uh, more or less a sci-fi site for, uh, for uh, chicks. And it's an awesome site, too. So thank you, Lisa, for your great blog entry. Other than that... I'd like to mention uh, real quick that uh, Legion of Dudes are going to be at the uh, Still City Con here in Pittsburgh on April 24th, 25th, and 26th. Uh, Anthony Daniels, uh, C-3PO, will be there. Herbert Jefferson from the original Battlestar Galactica. Uh, Catherine Bach, who played Daisy Duke, will be there with the uh, General Lee car. And uh, Legion of Dudes will be hosting a trivia contest at 1 p.m. And we're also going to be uh, co-hosting with uh, the Comic Geek Speak guys the uh, second annual Geek Throwdown at uh, my restaurant, Gypsy Cafe. That'll be Friday night. Uh, if you have any information or if you uh, want to RSVP, there's a uh, thread on the forums, or you can just uh, send uh, email to comments at legionofdudes.com. That is and, rock uh, and roll, uh, and you guys are going to have a great time there. What's up, Russ? I was saying, we had uh, some technical difficulties on our uh, discussion on the industry, but I believe there's another podcast that might be broaching that subject in the near future, Mr. Morgan. On the on the industry, yeah, actually, by the time this airs, uh, Too Old to Grow Up will have just aired our little take on um, the changing industry of comics. And uh, so, if you haven't listened to that yet, head over to Too Old to Grow Too Old to Grow Up dot com, and you can hear our take on uh, on the on how comics are changing uh, as far as uh, digital media and distribution, and uh, how you get your your uh, your fix. Very cool. So um, we got all that stuff going on. Make sure you check out. SplashPageArt.com to check out some Lee Bermejo pages and some Watchmen pages. Make sure you check out GypsyCafe.net to check out directions to Jim's restaurant. Make sure you check out <laughs> the website for the Steel City Con. And um, I think we're on agreement that you don't have to check out the Black Raider DVD. Uh, <laughs> but as far as your dude reading list, uh, your homework for tonight is make sure you're ready for Kingdom Come Issue 3. That'll be coming out the week of the 5th. It looks like we're going to be doing some movie talk coming up here shortly on Blade Runner, and also Kingdom Come number four. We'll be talking about that the week of the 20th. So uh, from the biggest fools, happy April Fool's Day to you. And um, be sure to check us out at thecomicforums.com. Underneath Half Hour Wasted and Leads of Dudes, make sure you check out Half Hour Wasted on Mondays with Brad and Frank and Bill. And we'll see you guys here next Thursday. So thanks, everybody, for jumping on the forums. We hope we have given you exactly what you need with 20 awesome books to check out. And uh, from all of us, have a good one, and good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. With a skull on its mast head will be coming in. <laughs>